the truth. Bingo! You are now listening to the facts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. I am your co-host, James Jackson, sitting here with my two main guys, my co-host, Jake Galley, and our producer, Stat Matt Robinson. How are we doing today, guys? Pretty good. Good, good. good. Yeah, you know, you know to give me an enthusiastic good from now on. Better than yesterday, because yesterday was the anniversary of one of the top five worst sports moments in my life. But Every, every person in the Philadelphia area, for those who don't know what Matt's referencing, the the shot, I guess that's what they call it now, Kawhi's Game 7 winner against the Sixers last year in the second round, which the shot really defied gravity. Like, if you really look at it, the way it bounces. Physics. I've never seen a ball bounce. Like, I genuinely have never seen a ball bounce like that on the rim, ever, and go in, and go in. When it it bounced off the front rim, it went outside. You can see, if you watch the slowdown, it bounces away from the rim and then hits, like, you know, some wall in the space-time continuum and then bounces back towards it. It realized that the team that the shot was against was Philadelphia. So then it just, ah, I got to go in, I got to go. Oh, they need more misfortune. I can't. Well, let's get into it with a fact straight at you. Everyone probably in the world has been watching this, the Last Dance documentary. It's been going on for the last four Sundays. Um, Coming to a conclusion next week, episodes, uh, what was it, seven and eight aired, you know, this past Sunday. Um, and it's, you know, taking you all through the life of Michael Jordan and really highlights the last year of, you know, of his Bulls tenure, and they called it the last dance for many reasons. Don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't been able to catch up. But we decided to dedicate this whole episode, you know, to Michael Jordan and those championship Bulls teams because there's so much to unpack there. And let me get to the facts straight at you so we can start that. Uh, the only teams to win multiple championships in NBA history since 1980 without a Hall of Fame or future Hall of Fame big men are the bad boy Pistons and the 91 through 93 Bulls. So if you look at Jordan's first three championships, he didn't have a Hall of Fame or what would have been then a future Hall of Fame big man to go up against these teams. And that kind of begs the question for us, which, which championship run was better for Michael Jordan? The first three? through 91, through 93, or the second three when he came back through 95 and then through 98. So what do we think? First three or second three? Uh, well, first, start in, off, uh, in the first three, Jordan was better. In the last three, the team was better. That, that doesn't make sense. And his first two championships, <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just, just to go over in a baseline, he was 27, uh, through ages 27 through 29 in, the, in 93, 91 through 93. His playoff stat line read, 34 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, two steals on a block. His second three-peat, 95 through 98, he was ages 32 through 34 with a stat line of 31.6 rebounds, four assists, 1.6 steals, and less than one block a game, 0.6 blocks per game. So, Matt, you're kind of right. Him individually was better in the first three-peat, but I feel like the second three-peat gets more notoriety. It gets more, you know, gets more buzz. It's because it's when he came back from baseball and it's like then they had the best record ever. Um, and, so, and they people liked him at the time, like, a lot. And it was like they fawned over – like, it was, he was already established as, like, the greatest and then he still came back and won three more. And continued to be the greatest. So, my question – I'm still hung up by the fact straight at you. On that. So, so, Matt, is this, is this your work here? With the facts straight at you? That might be Kyle. No. It might be Kyle's. My only question is the Warriors obviously 
did not, in my opinion, have a Hall of Fame big man, unless you're considering Draymond Green, A, a big man, or B, a Hall of Famer. I guess he's probably going to get into the Hall of Fame. He's probably going to get in the I Hall of Fame, and I would consider him as a big man. What are you going to consider him, a wing player? He's not a I wing didn't player. put him in the Hall of Fame. I didn't put Draymond in the Hall of Fame. Matt, you're stingy with the Hall of Fame, man. You are so stingy with, like, like I get it's supposed to be, like, an exclusive club, but, like, there's some players you need to put in the Hall of Fame that you have outside of it. And I think when it's all said and done, Draymond's going to be one of those players. Put Chris Webber in. I'm dying. I Chris Webber, he's not in. It's a joke. <laughs> well, we're straying, we're straying from our point. But, Jake, to, to your point, I would, I would pretty much consider Draymond Green a Hall of Famer. So, I mean, the, right. the words, I guess, are going to go into that. Into that I, yeah, I, I guess they would. And plus, he did in, the, in their finishing five, the Hampton fives, he was technically – the big man, the center, whatever. I mean, that's why I like Marcus basketball is so Famer. positionless. Right. So Marcus, why don't we – He's Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. So why don't we break this down? First, we'll break down the first three championships from 91 to 93 kind of in a vacuum. Then we'll break down the second three and see which one compares. I mean, in the first three, I think most people would agree like this – the first three was like the, the best MJ ever in terms of individual accolades and individual impact on the floor. Uh, and they also beat some very noteworthy teams. They beat a 58-win Lakers team with an MVP runner-up, and Magic Johnson and James Worthy was still there. Jordan averaged 11.4 assists and 2.8 steals in the 91 finals, the only Jordan series that he won in five games. All other finals games were in six. He also beat a 57-win Trailblazers team, also with an MVP runner-up in Clyde Drexler, and then beat a 62-win Suns team with the MVP of Charles Barkley, uh, a very good player, and Kevin Johnson was also on that Suns team too. And that team was probably the best team that Jordan ever played in the finals. You know, a, an over-60 win team faced an MVP, and they still oust them in six games. Jordan in that finals averaged 41, 8.5, and 6.3. Uh, in 91, they were the best team in the East, followed up by the Knicks, Pistons, and then Cavs. Um, and in that time, the league was really dominated by big men. I mean, or big men. I mean, you have the Pistons with Bill Lambeer, an MVP, and Charles Barkley, an MVP runner-up, uh, and Patrick Ewing a couple years later, and they were still able to go get it done. So that's kind of the, the 91 through 93, the first championship run, and that's a very good championship run in my opinion. It, it may be better than the second one, just looking at it. Right. Well, I don't like – so the first one, it's funny because, like, when you think about it in terms of his entire career, the first three-peat was, like – really like supposed to be the crowning achievement not the beginning it's supposed to be the crown where it's like oh he got beat up by the pistons and then he finally came and and he won three and he retired and like that's a great story but to me what makes michael jordan is the fact that after retire he came back and the second this is why in my opinion like the second three-peat to me is more impressive because First of, all, first of all, he's playing better teams just in terms of their win totals. You look at the Sonics, 64 wins. Jazz, 64 wins. Um, and then the Jazz, actually twice, 62 wins the second time. So, like, when you look at the teams that he's facing and the fact that it had to be more of a team effort, because as you said, the first time it was just Michael kind of running amok. He was just better than everyone else. The second time, there are some teams that pushed him. I mean, in the, in the Last Dance documentary, they kind of show how – in a couple of the different series, and, and, and especially against the Suns, how maybe there was a little bit of um, back and forth where when they go against the Supersonics, he didn't play well at all. And they still end up winning that series against a very good Sonics team. And I should say, maybe put a bit of a qualifier, when I say he didn't play well at all. The Jordan standards. It's really just 
he didn't right up to Jordan's standards. He didn't really have that great. In fact, it's probably his worst playoff series. Twenty-seven points, I mean, <laughs> five point three rebounds, four point three assists. So, like, obviously not that bad, but not up to the Jordan standards. And they still were able to win. To me, that's more impressive. I want to shout out the nineteen ninety-one Bulls for only losing two playoff games. I feel like that doesn't get discussed a lot. They went 15-2 in the postseason, and they played the two back-to-back defending champion Pistons, and they swept them, and they played the Showtime Lakers and won in five. That's, that's incredibly impressive. I mean, the only time that Pistons team ever got swept was in the 91 playoffs against Michael Jordan, and then I can't imagine too many other times that the Showtime Lakers were getting beat in five games. Like, so that's, that's very impressive. That's his first championship run. Like, that's – that's the first time going through it. We know he's undefeated in the final, so it's not like he got there lost and then had to redeem himself. That's the very first time, you know, doing it with kind of no reference, except that you're getting ousted in the playoffs the year before. And to your point, Jake, I think both of them have narratives. Like the first one is, this is the first run, and he doesn't have, you know, Dennis Robin. He has Horace Grant, but he doesn't have Dennis Robin, like the 72-9, and nine, you know, archetype of team. He's at, he has – a young Scottie Pippen who a lot of people didn't think he blossomed into the Scottie Pippen we know today just yet. So it's really the will of Michael Jordan that gets it done in the first run. But then the second run is all about the narrative of him coming back, and you said it, him being the greatest before he left and continuing to be the greatest when he came back and pushed a team that was already at the top of the mountain even further. Like There were a lot of people who said, like, I'm not sure this Bulls team could get any better from a three-peat championship. How do you get better from that? And he came back and made them better. They got the, the best record in NBA history and then rattled off three more. And they said, like, Phil Jackson did his best coaching in that second run. Michael Jordan played his best. Scottie Pippen played his best. Um, you know, Scottie Pippen, you know, was, was in MVP discussions in that second run. So it's like, which narrative do you think is better? But to me, I'm going to have to side with the first one because you're right. It's what, what clowned Michael Jordan. He got over, you know, the hurdles he needed to in beating the Pistons and the Celtics finally. Uh, and beating his his rival or his, his idol, I should say, Magic in the finals, and then continuing that dominance for two more years. I think the first one holds a little bit more weight, just for me, in my opinion, than the second three does. Right. It, it creates the monster that is Michael Jordan, and then the 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 second three Pete is really the manifestation of that, where it's like he he walks away and then he decides to cut. Like that's truly what. If he would have came back and never would have won another one, are we talking about Michael Jordan as the greatest player of all time? I don't like, – that's no. huge. That's huge. Probably not. I mean, obviously, like, the, he needed to get – but even if it was, like, he didn't win three in a row. Like, let's say he still gets to, like, five or six. Like, uh, just to me, he's still one of the greatest. But, like, it, he's not to the level if he doesn't win three in a row by coming back. He's not to that level where it's like, oh, he's undisputably the greatest of all time, which we will get to because there are some people, including you and right. I, who maybe, who maybe would disagree with that. <laughs> But, I mean, you make a great point. And to that point, like, I think that's something he was very aware of, that, like, if I come back, I'm putting my legacy in jeopardy. I'm 3-0 in the finals right now, and for many, many people in NBA history, that's, that's very okay. I, I don't have anything left to prove. And if he never came back for that 3 P and stayed 3-0 in the finals, like, that's still three championships, three finals MVPs. I'm not sure how many regular season MVPs he had until that point. But that's still, like, a, a – all-time resume. That's at the time. Before he had Kobe. three MVPs at that point. Well, that probably still puts you on Mount Rushmore. Like you're probably still top four. One hundred percent. Without the the three adding, you know, to the back. But to your point, coming back and then going three and zero again. If he didn't go three and zero, if he had a loss in there, or say he doesn't even make it to the finals after a full year, like he comes back in the middle of one and loses in the playoffs to the Magic. But from the start, he never missed the finals and. 
Like, say he doesn't make one. I think this is, it's a very, very different discussion that we're having for Michael Jordan, like almost one that we can't fathom, one we can't really think of because he did it. But if he comes back and doesn't, like, then we're having a very, very different discussion. I completely agree. Let's go to the second one because, I mean, you talked about it a little earlier, Jake, that there some people out there might disagree that Michael Jordan is the best player of all time. Kind of hard to bring up now in the scope of this documentary, but, I mean, two of the three, you know, two of those people are sitting right here on this podcast with, you know, saying that great debate. We know what that debate is. It's been LeBron, LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. If you're a sports fan, you've had this debate probably 10 times in your life and be prepared. You're going to have it a thousand times more. But here at Straight Facts, we're doing it a little different. You know, we're always unique. We don't want to just say who's better or who's worse. So we've broken this debate down into a scorecard, a LeBron versus Jordan scorecard. And we have five categories in which we're wanting, we want to debate who wins these five categories at the end. We'll tally up who won the most categories. And then, gentlemen, I guess that'll be our answer, right? And we'll have to put it to bed. Unless Jordan wins, then I'm not going to put it to bed. But the categories go one, teammates played with. Two, competition. So teams and individual people they played against. Three, clutchness. Four, playoff resume in a whole. And five, cultural impact. I want to stress how important number five is to this debate. Number five is a very, very good place. So we'll start with number one, the teammates they played with. And Jake, I believe this was your category that you took. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I tried to look at this and not skew it. Like, it's very hard because this is like becomes like a personal debate, and it's off. It's often old school versus new school. I find myself defending LeBron James a lot. So, I tried my best not to rig the stats one way or the other. But um, one thing that I did saw that kind of kicked off um, my interest into into this specific faction of the scorecard is winning percentage without an all-star teammate. So for LeBron James and Michael Jordan, a lot of their winning came on quote-unquote super teams. For Jordan, it was the same team. It was the Bulls. For LeBron, he moved around. Obviously, we know he went back to the Cavs from the Heat. Both of those two you could probably consider super teams. And now even with LA linking up with Anthony Davis, maybe some people also consider that a super team. But when you look at their winning percentage, in void of that. No one is there to help them. It's just them and their shitty teammates and their shitty coach. <laughs> and when you look at the numbers, the LeBron, his winning percentage is 58% compared to Michael Jordan's 10%. And like that has to be postseason, right? Not regular season. I like as I'm looking at it, there's no way it can be regular season. It's gotta be but if it, it so postseason, like like I just one or nine before Pippen. This is what this is my problem with Michael Jordan. And here we go. I don't want to be biased, but like this is no, this is biased, really where we get down is, to this it. This is the argument. This is the point. Because and this is why I like to start off with this because this this is really as a LeBron James supporter where I lie. Like Michael Jordan has reached higher highs. That's true, but there has been never a more consistently great player than LeBron James. He has taken multiple dog shit teams way further than they should be when he had no business doing it that young. Remember what he did to the Pistons even before that uh, against the Magic who he ended up losing to, but but still great series and great performances and, and places that those teams shouldn't have been. So don't that's really the, where I start forget, to look at. Don't forget the 07 team that he took against. against oh, I mean, that's just the worst team to ever make the finals ever. Yeah, like that and the AI. When, it, when he had a running mate of Booby Gibson, that's, that's, and is the Judas Ogowskis. Like, let's not forget. And like, so like, 
they they had very two two different ways of going about things. And, and for me, LeBron James's willingness to kind of like they they both drug their teammates along at some points, right? Michael Jordan goes off in this last episode. I think it was seven or, or maybe it was eight where he almost cries at the end because he's like talking about how intense and mean he was to his teammates. And he's like, you know what? I had to bring those guys with me. There's some people who I had to drag along who didn't want to be dragged. So that's Jordan's thought process. And it's so important to him that he almost, he's like crying at the end, like almost talking about it. Whereas LeBron, and this is why I think he'll make a better coach or GM or whatever he ends up doing is he would try and support and, and be positive reinforcement with teammates, which, by the way, you want to talk about scorecard. When you look at number of teammates punched, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan punched two of his teammates in the face. How, his teammates at practice. Let's think about if that happens today. Think about the repercussion. If LeBron hauls off and punches someone today, he never, he never recovers from it. Like, legit, never recovers. It's a softer generation, too. A little bit. I'll, I'll say it's a little softer generation. Much softer generation. But Much softer NBA. That's like people okay, talk. I have, a, I, have, I have an objection to the Pippen. Because Pippen's rookie year, he only averaged eight points per game and 21 minutes per game. And Jordan won 50 games and got to the second round. Okay. So, let me ask you, Matt. Like, Why? He's the greatest ever. He's never lost in the finals. How is he not getting to the finals with that team? That's my problem. Is that, and this is where the conversation devolves to. better under Jordan than it was in LeBron. But Matt, but Matt, did LeBron ever lose in the first round? He would have if he made the playoffs. Did LeBron year. ever lose in the first round? He made the playoffs his third year. Did Jordan never miss the playoffs when he was a really good player? <laughs> so – Okay, so this is what I didn't want to. LeBron, LeBron, yeah. lived, LeBron made the playoffs year four and on, and then missed one You're time. Three and on. You're three and on. You're three and on. Missed one time. So, so, like, was he a very good player until year three? Like, I don't think so. He was a rookie, then he was a second-year player, and then year three, he ascended. They missed the playoffs on a tiebreaker his second year, and if they had won the tiebreaker instead of lost it, they would have lost in the first round. So, <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, you can't really say that because you wouldn't know. But I, I don't want to get too far off from breaking it down topic by topic. And right now, teammates, as we look further into it, um, another point of contention that's often brought up is who had the better help, right? Because that's what it all comes down to. When we look at the first stat where it's like without an all-star teammate, uh, LeBron was clearly uh, better in terms of his teams were, were one more, right? So when you look at – uh, how many teammate years they had in terms of Hall of Fame teammate um, players. You look at Jordan with Pippen with nine years. Rodman spent three years. And then, very borderline, but I think he possibly, you could make an argument, should get in. Horace Grant. It's a joke. Come on, Horace Grant for seven years. Two coaches closer to the Hall of Fame than Horace Grant. Horace Grant made the all-defensive team four times, Matt. I think, Matt, I think when we're talking about players. Who did Tony Allen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Tony Allen doesn't have championships. Horace Grant has championships. Tony Allen might have won one with the um, the – I'm not sure if he was on that Celtics team. But when you look at Tony Kukoc compared to him, Tony Kukoc – uh, never made any All NBA anything team. He never made an All Star game. He was the all. He was an All Rookie team, and he was the Sixth Man of the Year one time. So Tony Kukoc is a good player, and and he's not on that Hall of Fame echelon. But I think if we're going to be talking about who's close, 
because LeBron has a couple of those guys too. If we look at who's close, Horace Grant, I'd say, is, is decently close in terms of all of Jordan's teammates, and he played for seven years with Jordan. So he was one of Jordan's most significant teammates as well, which is the only reason I added the, the best teammate either one of them played with was Wade in 2010-2011, but then Wade kind of fell off the next three years. Mm-hmm. So Pippen's nine years is much better than the Wade for four. But after that, everyone that LeBron had is better than Rodman or Grant. AD's better. Bosch is better. Ali's better. For 0.5 years, excuse no, me. No, he didn't have a four-year of AD under his belt. We, well, they're going to be the one seed, so he might win the title this, this year. They, whenever so, they but, like, do you put, put Bosch or Kyrie? Right? And obviously it's hard to say. Like, this is why the discussion is still ongoing, because we don't know if they're going to be Hall of Famers. I'm not sure it's super important. Like, what, what is the cutoff? Like, oh, you made the Hall of Fame. That doesn't mean you still weren't a super impactful player right. on that team. Um, but if I think you look Bosch at Bosch. If Bosch is not a Hall of Famer, then there's no fucking way Andre Iguodala is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think Bosch gets into Kyrie right now. Look, everyone wants Kyrie's to put Kyrie in. He's very borderline. Yeah, in my opinion, he's very borderline yeah. because all I he does is score the basketball. But here's the thing. So is, is Kyrie more important to LeBron's success than Dennis Rodman was to Michael Jordan's? He, not – their career success, but those years he was more helpful to the Cavaliers than Rodman was to the Bulls. See that, like I have a tough time with that because you know you look at um, the year that Jordan came back, like halfway through the year, like not even halfway when the year was almost over, and they were thirty-four and thirty-one, and it's largely because they lost Horace Grant and they didn't have a rebounder, and they lost in the playoffs that year. They lost in the playoffs with Michael Jordan that year because they couldn't rebound the basketball against Shaquille O'Neal. Enter Dennis Rodman, and now and we have a totally – right. Hey, when, Kyrie, when Kyrie left, they went to seven in the first round with Indiana. But they, they ended up going to the championship. And they got swept. And they – and okay, when against Kyrie – Against who? Against who? Against who? The Warriors. The KD Warriors. When, Ky- when Kyrie broke his knee in 2015, they were – they lost in six. Then Kyrie played the – but they got the championship, but they still, like, went all the way. Like, yes, they lost there, but both of those years, they, they were there. Like, they East went. was a joke in 2015, not 2018. But, but like, East now we're bringing up, now we're bringing up, like, ancillary stuff. Like, we're, we're focusing on the argument. Like, that's, like, they went. Like, you're talking about Kyrie going down, but MJ still, I mean, LeBron still went to the finals. Without, without a Dennis Rodman that year, without a Horace Grant, Michael Jordan got beaten in the Eastern Conference Finals. Second round. In the second round. So, right, and, and as we look now, it's kind of difficult in terms of looking at Michael Jordan because we only really have that one time where he retired and obviously comes back, wins it through championships. But when you look into what was the team like without the big greatest ever player, when you pluck LeBron and you pluck Jordan off their teams, how do they fare? And you look at um, the 92 to 93 season where they had Jordan, they win their third title. They win 57 games. The next year, he leaves. They still have the same uh, makeup of the team, and they win 55 games. So I, I know that you put in here that, they, that the next year after that, they only win they're, – they're pretty much 500 almost, what, like before, before. 70% of the way through the year, they're like 500. But, um, but that's a point. They're still – I mean, they're three games above 500 without, without Michael Jordan. And even so, they lost, they lost Horace Grant. Like, that, that was a big part of it, that they lost Horace Grant that year. Their team was incomplete. 
Um, so obviously we know Michael Jordan comes back with a different team on the Bulls and, and is very good. But I want to look at the first time LeBron leaves the Cavaliers, who he would have been dragging along for years at that point. He decides I've had enough of this and, by the way, got damned for leaving. He leaves and they go from 61 wins to 19 wins. They literally go first to worst. See, when LeBron left, the Cavs decided to tank. I don't think that's a fair comparison. I think heat, the heat fall off is the comparison. Heat where they went 58 and, 54 and 28 his last year, and then he leaves, they go 37 and 45. I think that works. Right. But regular season record isn't everything. The Raptors had one more win the year before Kawhi came than the year they had Kawhi. But it's the playoff success. The Bulls got bounced in the second round by the Knicks when Jordan left. That's, that's the effect. That's, it's right there. It's two rounds of the playoffs. Just like Kawhi was two rounds of the playoffs for the uh, but look, Raptors. Look, but look at the disparity. LeBron leaves a team, and I guess, yes, there's other context to it, but LeBron leaves a team, and they go from 60 wins to 19. And even for the Heat, LeBron leaves a team, and they go to, to what, as I said, 38 wins or something like that. I believe they were the eighth seed, and I believe they got beaten. They missed the playoffs, I'm pretty sure. They missed the playoffs. I think they were buying for the eighth seed. Yeah. And, and miss the playoffs. So they don't even get to the playoffs. Jordan leaves in the next year. Like, yes, you know, they get bounced in the second round. They don't make it to the championship. But they get to the second round. That's a place that 80% of the league hasn't gotten to. Like, they won't be able to get to. Phil Jackson is the difference. And that's the best argument for LeBron over Jordan, in my opinion, is, is the coaching. Yeah. Right. And just to close out the teammate portion, um, I think when you look at big moments, because I remember – Kyrie Irving hit that shot against the Warriors, and they did the impossible. They beat – they came back 3-1 against the best team of all time. And the only thing that the detractors had to say was, well, you know, he, Kyrie saved him. Kyrie, or, or when Ray Allen hit the shot, Ray Allen saved LeBron. So I went back and you look, and Jordan has actually very similar moments when you look at John Paxson both in 1991, Game 5, and uh, 1993, Game 6 – of the finals hitting shots that either put them up or won the game and uh all Steve Kerr 97 similar uh shot and similar situation and all I can think about when I hear that other than the the Kyrie and the Ray Allen is LeBron game three against the Warriors in I believe 2017 he was massacred by the media for kicking it out to Kyle Korver in the corner the greatest, one of the greatest shooters of all time for an open three, and he bongs it, and KD comes down and hits that shot in LeBron's face, and that's pretty much the series. So I just, like for me, people like to overlook these moments where these little white boy shooters are making all the difference, <laughs> and for LeBron, he kicks it out to his white boy shooter, and he's missing. I just got to say, if you're going to include Pax in game five of the Lakers series where they won by like seven, it was a comfortable win. Then you have to include Mike Miller's they were seven up two at the time. in the game five of the Thunder series. When Paxson hit the shot, they were up two points. That pretty much won them. It put them, it put them – they did end up winning, I think, by right, like six or seven. Magic put up like a shot. And, at and we're, talking, we're talking about the, the essential game winner, the, the, the shot that makes, the, that makes you say this game is over. Mike Miller in that game five hit pretty much every shot to lead up to it. And then LeBron hit the three that made you say this game is over. Like, that's the little difference. Like, you make a really good point, Matt, and I love Mike Miller for that game. I became a huge Mike Miller fan when he's hitting threes with one shoe off. But LeBron hit all, you know, he hit all those shots up until the point where LeBron had to, you know, close it out for his team. 
all those shots that we, we listed on that list, all shots that were the closeout shots. That was a shot that when it went in, you're like, game over. That's fair. Let's move on after a very lengthy, a lengthy discussion on just number one. By the way, everyone, that was literally just the number one criteria. The number two criteria is competition. And I think we focused this on playoff competition um, because that's, you know, that's really the deciding factor of these two, the games that really matter. Uh, and I believe, Matt, competition was something that you did, correct? Yes. I listed the Hall of Famers. Each of them played against in the playoffs. So, I mean, if you look down, this is too long of a list to, to, to go down every single person, you know, that they played. But notables from Michael Jordan, obviously, Larry Bird played him twice. Kevin McHale, Bill Walton, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, all on the same team. Um, then you have Isaiah Thomas played him four times. Played him four times. Patrick Ewing played him five times. Joe Dumars played him four times. He played Dennis Rodman twice, Charles Barkley, Dominique Wilkins. The list goes on. Dikembe Mutombo, Reggie Miller. And then you look at the playoff or the Hall of Famers that LeBron had to play against. You have Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Jason Kidd, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, um, Joe Johnson, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, Dirk Nowitzki, KD, and then the most recent, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson, and then Kyle, you know, Kyle Lowry is on, you know, the borderline, and that's a whole different discussion for another day. Um, but we look at their playoff competition is, you know, is, is, very, is very similar. And a lot of LeBron's is speculation because all these players aren't done playing yet. Those are players who we think are going to end up going into the Hall of Fame. But if we look at just the competition they had to play in the playoffs, this is one where I think Jordan might have it. Like, I think, like, I think Jordan individually, the players that who he's had to play – at least for right now, when we look at them, are bigger and better superstars, more important to their teams than I think the players. Yeah, they're higher on the all-time list. Exactly. Um, Larry Bird and uh, Larry Bird and Magic. Yeah, Larry Bird and Magic are the two best players on either list. You could maybe argue Tim Duncan for LeBron is higher, but I I, I love Duncan, but he's below. He's right, he's right behind him, but he's below. Yeah. So my and, problem, uh, even like the secondary level, like. Barkley's a top 25 player. Ewing, Ewing. Ewing's a top 30 player. Like, Garnett is and, – and, and Dirk are there. And Clay, Clay and Steph and KD. That's, it, the KD is, makes it close, but I still think Jordan has a slight edge. Yeah, so, my problem with it is that, like, he's playing – he played Magic one time, Reggie Miller one time. He played Bird twice. Like, the majority of the, of the guys who he's clashing with are the Knicks with Patrick Ewing or – or the Pistons with Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, those guys. When you look at who is LeBron facing time after time after time, you have Curry uh, and Thompson and Durant. Durant was only three times, but Curry and Thompson, you faced them four times in the playoffs. Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Kawhi Leonard only two times, but Duncan and Parker and Ginobili three times in the playoffs. And then you go to the Celtics guys. So, like, I just think – Jordan may have had for, and by the way, that's just for right now. Go ahead and let Curry and Thompson win another championship. And and to me, Curry has to jump into the top 10 all time, but I, I don't really want to get into that conversation right now. I just think that when you look at it, I think maybe Jordan overall has some higher guys right now, but in terms of the guys that LeBron repetitively had to go up against, unlike Jordan, were maybe a little tougher, more dynasty like where with this, he played Barkley three times in the playoffs. In those three series, his combined stats are 39.3 points, 7.8 rebounds, 7.1 assists on 51.5% shooting and 35.6% from three. That's 
stupid. I mean, that's not, that's, that's, that's 16 games. That's a 16 game stretch. Yeah. And, 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 and those are all time great numbers. And to that point, like there are a lot of series that you can point to. Not, I won't say a lot, but there are, are a couple of several series that you can point to where LeBron played top competition. And you can point out a couple of games where you're like, uh, he didn't show up in that one. You can point out whole series sometimes where like, he didn't show up in that one. When Jordan had to face the top of the top competition, I mean, other than those, that game one and game two of the 95-96 series, there's like no game you can point to where you say, uh, Jordan didn't show up in that one. Like, he, he showed up and showed up big every single time. Here's, uh, I just want to, we can move on after this. I just want to point out that Jordan, every time he's facing all of these teams, he is on the incumbent, the championship, the best team in the league. For a lot, pretty much every time LeBron faced the Warriors, they were the Michael, they were the Bulls, they were the 73-win team, they were the incumbent, they were the dominant team. So, like, it's hard for me to say, like, Michael Jordan – um, would have beat those teams because he was those. He didn't really face those teams. He right, was he that was, team was with the, the best coach and the best teammates. Uh, it's just tough for me. LeBron was only favored in two of the nine finals he's played in. That was the Mavericks series and lost the first, one of them. And, the, and, the <laughs> well, and, lost and, and I don't like if we're if we're equating it. I don't think Jordan. If Jordan goes up very favorably in a series, I don't think he blows it. Right. Like that's a huge bonus on LeBron's career. So we'll put competition. We'll go to Jordan. We can say that. And then the third one we go down is clutchness. Matt also took this one. Why did we let Matt take clutchness? Um, because like, Matt's really good at finding statistics. To like I, I get that, but, we're, I mean, we're not going to win this one. <laughs> clutchness is, is probably so skewed towards Jordan. Um, I, this is fair. This is incredibly fair. Is it? Okay, well, let's – All right, let's so, yeah, let, let's take a look here, Matt, for buzzer beaters, which – I think is a little bit of a flawed metric because it, it ends up playing into opportunities, which Matt so kindly has listed here. Michael Jordan, nine total buzzer beater game winners in three postseasons. LeBron has seven total across five postseasons. So LeBron did it in five different postseasons, but Jordan has more. So an interesting battle there. I, I don't, to me, I don't know about you guys, like buzzer beaters are kind of an inexact science in terms of determining if you're clutch or not? I think over a long career, kind of, what helps. But it's really difficult to – I was not – you can't find play-by-play data on NBA games before 1997. Otherwise, I would have dug into, like, postseason games under two minutes to go with the score within five, and I would have done the stats that right. way. But and that's, and that's play-by-play data doesn't go back that far. And we also just, you know, just talked about how there were times in LeBron's career where he's – Jordan's a scorer, so with the game on the line, I mean, and you know, instead of those or um, you know, not counting those few times he passed it, LeBron is looking for like the quote-unquote right basketball play, which doesn't always mean I'm shooting. Like Jordan, ninety percent of the time is going to take the shot. LeBron's gonna look for the best basketball play. We already talked about how I looked for Kyle Korver in what 2017, and there's been there's probably many more times we can go and look where if that last play isn't the smartest of me taking a shot, LeBron's gonna pass the ball. So about 2018 finals, game one, everyone remembers JR screwing that up. But LeBron threw a perfect pass to George Hill that caused Clay Thompson to foul him, which gave him two free throws with a good free throw shooter to take the lead. That's just smart. Yep. Yeah, and as you go down the list. To me, can factor in the clutchness. 
Mm-hmm. You make the right basketball player with the, um, with the game on the line. That's clutch. That's a clutch thing. LeBron's block also goes in there as a clutch. <clears throat> I mean, it's arguably right. That's his, that's his crowning moment for me. But um, another memorable LeBron moment would be the face that he makes game six against the Celtics before the game. Obviously, it's now turned into a meme. Um, but when you look at their uh, stats in elimination games or facing elimination, Michael Jordan goes 31.7.8 rebounds, 7.2 assists on 53.8 true shooting. Pretty good. LeBron goes for 33.1 points, 10.3 rebounds, and 7.3 assists on an identical true shooting 53.8. So I think you could, you could make the argument like, oh, well, like Michael Jordan didn't let it get to elimination games. But we've seen time after time when his team faces elimination, LeBron James has stepped up. And obviously, like when you talk about being down and being out, the 2016 series is the one that sticks out. And, um, and for me, that is like, like that's a huge one. He, LeBron himself even says on the barbershop, like, after that, I thought I was the greatest of all time. Um, so that, that, that's, that's one that plays into it. Final stats as a whole as well. Uh, Michael, I think you could maybe make the case for has a better, has a better record. 336 Six rebounds, six assists, 55.9% true shooting. LeBron, only 28.2 points, but 10 rebounds, 7.7 assists on 55.1 true shooting. Like, this is my problem. We are splitting hairs. This is like the definition of splitting hairs because both of those are just non-realistic. In my head just now, I was like, which of those stats are better? Like, I'm trying to, like, define a winner. And you're right. Like, it's do I want more points or do I want an overall better game? And I don't think one is a wrong answer. If I want a guy to go out and score 33, I'm not wrong for saying that. But if I want a guy that scores 26 but also pours in 10 and 8, I'm not wrong for wanting that either. It's, like, basically it's how your team is built. Like, do I – Jordan was the scorer on that team. He was the best player. He did it all. But he was the go-to scorer on that team. LeBron is the overall facilitator on all these teams. It's, like, which one do you prefer? Yeah, yeah, totally, and uh, and that's like that's why it's so hard to compare these two players because different era, different team, different player. Um, but we're gonna trudge along and trying to do that. So <laughs> as we look at their best and worst playoff series, um, obviously the Dallas series sticks out for LeBron, uh, just under eighteen points, seven point two rebounds, six point eight assists on fifty four percent true shooting. Um, I mean, probably the worst, the worst blemish on LeBron's I just career. Out that LeBron's worst playoff series ever, and this is not. I love Ben Simmons, but it's Ben Simmons stats. I was about to say it's literally oh! like Ben Simmons. It's his worst he's series. Still ben Simmons, when he's like choking, the worst he's ever choked. He's still Ben Simmons. He's an all star. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look across at Michael, and this this is really kind of where you try and find blemishes on Michael's. Um, playoff That's finals. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. We already said his worst series was the 96 finals against Seattle. 27 oh, points, five oh, rebounds, four assists, 53% true shooting. Like, if that's your worst day, you're pretty fucking good. Like you're that's like, their I, like, series, and they won the and they won the title, and, and they won, and they still won, they still won. Like that's and in a large part to Jordan, they didn't win in spite of Jordan. They won. They still won because of him. That just happened to be the worst he performed, which is like it's like by default. Like it's not. We don't. We look at LeBron and say that's the worst he performed because it was a bad series. 
we look at Jordan to say this is the worst he performed because it's just not as good as all the other series. But that's a career series for pretty much every other person who's ever played basketball. That's a career series. Like we look at that and like that's an all-time great series. Right. And when you look on the flip side of things, Michael Jordan in 1990 against Philadelphia averaged 43 points, six and a half rebounds, and seven and a half assists on 61% true shooting, which like if the other numbers were ridiculous, what like what is that? What <laughs> what is that? Like yeah. 61% true shooting is sick. Um and obviously it's something that he was able to do, maybe not to that extent, but able to kind of do, Matt said, with the 39 points against Charles Barkley's sons, another ridiculous one. But then for LeBron, uh, I'd say he, he answers that because his greatest series, it. his greatest series comes against the best team of all time in and the it, finals. And it's something no one's ever done. No one's ever averaged a triple doubles, triple double in the finals. He's the first person to ever do it. So his numbers may not be – the scoring may not be as astronomical as Jordan, but he's more over, he's more consistent overall, and he has a better true shooting. Right, and I, I think we can we can end it on this and, and maybe deliberate a little bit. But if you had to give a signature moment, like whose signature moment is better, and can you pick a singular one out for Michael Jordan? It's the it's shot over Russell shot. game six ninety eight. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's, the last, it's the the last shot. It's the last shot. It's a tie. The answer is a tie. It's again. It's both. either the last shot of the block. Like which, like yeah, that's both a tie. tie. Like I can't, I can't choose one over the other. And be doing we do a disjustice to one of them. I, to me, it's fitting that LeBron's isn't an offensive play. It's actually him hustling on defense, using his like freakish athleticism to somehow impact the play that he was clearly, clearly out of. Um, so, like, you're right. It's probably a tie. But if you had to give clutchness after what we've just discussed, who do you think that goes to? So MJ by a hair. As, as we were going through it, I personally just wrote down who I think won each of those little subcategories. And I have MJ winning one, two, three. And then there's a tie. LeBron winning one, um, one, two. And then it's tied. We have a couple of other categories that we didn't get to. So if I had to break it down right now for the categories we did get to, it's MJ by a hair. All right. Um, then we can, we, can, we can let MJ hold the 2-1 lead here, entering the fourth leg of our competition, cool. James. LeBron is okay coming back. LeBron <laughs> is okay coming back. Yeah, except <laughs> if he gets down 3-1, there's actually not enough games for him to come back. So. And he's not coming back if he won against Jordan. So we'll, hold, we'll let MJ hold clutch. Bron, we got to make up some ground here, man. All right, so do you want to take over playoff resume? Yeah, we'll do playoff resume. This is, a, this is a big one. Playoff resume, there's a lot to encompass here. We've kind of been doing it a little bit. Um, kind of the things we've talked about probably all go into playoff resume, who they played against, their best and worst playoff series, their numbers and everything. But let's unpack it even more. And we split it into two parts here. One is the strength of the playoff opponents who they face. We got to it a little bit. We'll break it down. And then two is their playoff stats. So if we go into the first one, the strength of their playoff opponents, the under 50 win playoff opponents that they both had to face. MJ only faced 10 uh, teams under 50 wins, um, 32% of his series. LeBron faced 20, so over half of his series were against, you know, opponents who didn't have over 50 wins. Um, under 60 wins uh, of their finals opponents, MJ faced two teams under 60 wins in the finals, 33% of the series. LeBron faced five teams who didn't win 60 wins yet 
made it to the finals, and that's 55, again, over half percent of the series. Their finals win, their finals opponents win percentages stack up the same. Jordan's, uh, you know, 0.74, so 74 win percentage, and LeBron's also a 74 win percentage. They're, they're split by literally 0.001 um, of a difference. And then the playoff opponents win percentage, not just going into the finals, uh, which excludes you know, all the finals teams. MJ, a 61% uh, playoff or opponent win percentage, and then LeBron, a 59% playoff opponent. I have one little gripe with the way this is laid out. Yeah. I love you, Kyle. Oh. And I'm not blaming you at all. This is good. Um, but MJ has tougher playoff win percentage, excluding finals teams, because he was an eight seed a couple times. LeBron, you shouldn't, we shouldn't punish LeBron for being a one seed and playing, and playing worse teams. And yeah. playing worse teams. That's a very, very good caveat to put in there. Very good caveat to put in there. Right. And, I mean, when it comes down to it, when you look at the finals opponent win percentage, it's identical. It's like this, it's identical. 74.6 versus 74.5. So, like, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, they are facing cumulatively, like, the same-ish opponents. Um, Obviously, I think you could make arguments for the fact that LeBron faced better singular teams, like I've made the point before. And as you said, this all kind of spills into this topic. Like, the Warriors were the Bulls, and LeBron beat them in a 3-1 comeback uh, fashion and then later went on to play them with unequal teams. So, he played Duncan three times. He played against emerging Kawhi twice. He played against Thunder KD. I, I, I think that I, I'd give this to – I don't really care about, like, the first-round opponents that LeBron beat. It's all about when it matters. Mm-hmm. And I think because of – just those Warriors teams are just ridiculous, especially the two KD teams. It's just unfair. And I'd actually give this to LeBron. I would give this to LeBron, too, solely for two years, 2007 and 2018. Two teams that shouldn't have sniffed the finals. Two teams that maybe you've been happy made the playoffs. Like, if they went in as a 5-6 seed, you'd be like, good for LeBron. It was a really bad team. Good for him for making the playoffs. They went to the finals. And in 2018, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, LeBron had to win two series of seven before getting to the finals. Yeah, he beat the Pacers in seven, swept yep. the Raptors, and then beat the Celtics in seven. Yep. So, and the Pacers are one of his buzzer beaters over Oladipo. So, like that, those are you know those are two teams to me that skew it into LeBron's favor because you know Jordan may have had a tougher road in the playoffs getting to the finals, but Jordan never had to take two putrid teams. Or I guess he. You know, he could have, but Jordan never took two putrid teams to the finals. And in 07, LeBron was 22. Like, 22 yeah, years old. Like, <laughs> a Pistons team with that team and then going to the finals at 22 years of The age. Jordan comparison is in 89, he got a 47-win garbage Bulls team with mm-hmm. um, when Doug Collins was head coach, and he dragged them to a 2-1 lead over the peak of the bad boys Pistons. because that. Pistons team actually swept the Lakers with oh, Magic and Dream in the finals, yep, yep. and he pushed him to six. That's the best carry job Jordan ever had. Right, and I, I hate when people bring up, like, oh, the East isn't as good as it was when Jordan played. Like, what is LeBron supposed to do? Is LeBron supposed to, like, call up the other GMs? Like, hey, listen, guys. <laughs> I need to put better players in the East so I can yeah. – <laughs> Like, like I, I just don't – I never understood that. And also, like – I just want to touch on, to me, the greatest athletic feat of LeBron James's career is the fact 
when you add up all the total minutes of his eight-year stretch finals after finals after finals, 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 finals. Michael Jordan said in the last dance, I was tired, I was exhausted, I had to take a step away. LeBron never took that step away. LeBron stayed down, and whether he had a good team, bad team, whatever, different team, it didn't matter. He took them to the finals in eight straight years. Like I know that you, you could bring up the record and what he was but uh, in those finals, but to me, just the fact that like you're going through that grind and you're able to reach the mountaintop time after time after time after time, like like to I mean, me, that is a differentiator. And let's talk about the 2015 playoffs, too, where he goes up against the first championship Warriors team. He loses Kevin Love in the first round to a broken collarbone to the Celtics and then loses Kyrie in the finals in game two for a torn meniscus and then wins game two and game three you know, to, to go up 2-1, which is a huge carry job. They end up losing the series as a whole because his running mate after that became Matthew Dellavedova. Now, you're just not going to win a series with Matthew Dellavedova as your second-best running Don't mate. forget Birdman. Don't and forget Birdman, too. Oh, uh, Timothy Mozgov also. Like, let, let me not forget the Giants. J.R. Smith was there. Iman Shepard, I believe, was there, too. But, I mean, also not pulling in, you know, crazy numbers. So, I'm going to have to give this one um, – to LeBron, because we're going we're gonna to put finals as, you know, finals is a part of the playoffs. So LeBron, I think, edges this one out a little bit. And the last one, the last one is very tough. Okay, the last one is cultural impact. And this is one that, that I had. And it's almost unfair to debate it a little bit, because how do you really quantify cultural impact? We're going to attempt to do so. But this one is very subjective. It's, you know, who do you think had the most impact on either the game of basketball or the life associated around the game of basketball in their career. And, you know, I broke it down, you know, in, into many different categories. But first, when we go and we look at Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan made his impact felt on the court. I'll say mostly, you know, the, the biggest thing that he did for the game of basketball was enter the 92 Dream Team and travel with America to Barcelona in 92. And a lot of people talked about it. Adam Silver even talked about it, how, you know, that was the first time the NBA was really marketed, was really taken from outside America and pushed to, you know, a, a global market and advertised. And Michael Jordan was at the forefront of that. And it may not have had, there may not be a bigger moment in, you know, in the, in the scope of NBA historically than going to Barcelona and having the entire world really notice what the NBA has to offer and Michael Jordan being at the forefront of that. Um, but then you also talk about, you know, what he was able to do on the court too, um, you know, being a cultural impact. A lot of people forget the shorts. Like, you know, when, when Michael Jordan came in in 84, booty shorts is what everybody wore. <laughs> He's like high-waisted, didn't come past the middle part of your thigh with, you know, um, tube socks that went up to your knees and converses. MJ comes in the league, the shorts get baggier. The jersey gets baggier. Black socks come into play. And then you talk about Nike emerging into the NBA scene. And instead of wearing converses and Chuck Taylors, now Michael Jordan's wearing stylish Air Force Ones, you know, made by Nike, the Air Jordan 1. And it comfortable was ones, too. Comfortable ones. And it's the first time, speaking of the comfortability, it's the first time basketball shoes are being worn off of the basketball court. Like, he's making this fashion instead of just They made a movie three years after he retired called Like Mike that was based around a kid playing really good basketball because he found Michael Jordan shoes. And look. That's this is after you retired. And Calvin Cambridge, to me, goes down as one of the best movie athletes of all time. I love that movie. So, that you know, that's, movie is incredible. It's incredible. Like, his, his stats in that, in that one year, you know, with the Los Angeles Knights goes down in history. 
Um, but that really speaks to MJ's culture because that's not something he did that didn't stick or he didn't get reprimanded from it. It's a trend that stayed. And then we all know the empire that is Jordan Brand now. I mean, he, he took that and really took it to new heights. He had other, you know, players after the game asking if they could have the shoes off of his feet after beating them in the playoffs. Like, that's huge. Like, players wanted to be a part of that. And I think it was – it started to become the first time that you know, Michael Jordan showed players that, you know, you don't have to be just a cog in a company's plan. You can have your own brand, and you can compete with all these bigger and other brands. You can be the face of it. Something that I know actually has influenced LeBron being the face of Nike now, where Jordan took over, you know, Nike's brand, made a subset of Jordan, and became his own brand after that. That's hugely influential, and I don't think that should ever, you know, be – be skipped over. He brought so much swag to that. And now the, the the Jordan brand in terms of sneakers is the biggest sneaker brand in the world. In 2019, one year alone, they did $3.1 billion in shoe, shoe sales. I'm not talking about merch, you know, no sweatshirts, no t-shirts, no joggers, nothing. Just simply sneakers, $3.1 billion. I mean, he could cut into the U.S.'s debt with just his sneaker sale. Like that's, that's, in, that's insane. So I think that's, that's hugely culturally relevant. So before we move on to, to the LeBron side of it, I just want to give, you know, Michael's, you know, Michael's impact just do. And, you know, let's talk about a little bit just how much we think he influenced the game. Right. And I think it is like he made basketball like cool. Like not that it wasn't cool before, but he just made everyone realize like, okay, this is, this is what it's like, obviously like we talk about like AI where he really kind of, he was the next one mm-hmm. that kind of influenced the off court stuff. A ton, but just in terms of like on court, the dominance and how how great it was to be a fan of the Chicago Bulls or on the Chicago Bulls, and and you talk about the Barcelona. We saw that in the documentary where they go to Barcelona and they're superstars. And now, like going forward, you're bigger than basketball as like a basketball athlete. After that, you're an international celebrity. Yeah. yeah, right. And and I think. Like, so, like, that's incredibly important. But I think where he loses out a little bit, and this can obviously vary depending on where you fall on the spectrum of social activism, but, like, Michael Jordan wasn't really a person who was going to speak out against divisive matters. And they show that. And they show that. And LeBron is, like, the complete opposite, which which plays, I think, more into um, pop culture and – and, and the NBA's fan base today. Yep. So, I mean, to me, that's a big part of this discussion. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's in my LeBron points. We'll, you know, we'll get to that. But that's, I mean, that's, that's huge in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. You know, that, that definitely needs to be talked about. But, I mean, you, just one more thing before we move on from Michael Jordan. I mean, the way he made the NBA cater to him. I, mean, I don't think, I don't know if we saw it before that. I can't attest to too much to what, you know, people saw in the NBA before Michael Jordan came in, but we had whole teams redoing their entire organization to deal with one guy. I mean, the Pistons had to implement an entire new style of play, an entire new style of defense, which is basically just beat them up. Like, this is like, we have to let go of what defense is. You just have to hit Michael Jordan. Like, you just have to make him more physical. Teams, you know, turn the whole game plan on their head. They were drafting and getting people in free agency not to better their team, but to compete with Michael Jordan, not the Bulls. Like, well, we have to do this to beat the Bulls. We have to do this to beat Michael Jordan. That impact, I don't know if we've seen that much of an impact, you know, since LeBron. I also think LeBron really, not saved from destruction, but really saved the NBA from a bad reputation. 
because after Jordan retired, you had like Latrell Sprewell co- like choking his coach. You had a bunch of legal issues with star players like Kobe Malice Arenas. Malice at the Palace. Malice at the Palace. And then LeBron comes in and his whole generation, Wade, Bosch, Mello, no legal trouble. They've and they've all been model citizens and great activists for causes they care about. And I think that goes understated that the impact they had that, on that way. Well, that's perfect, Matt. That takes us right into LeBron's. And LeBron's, you know, has been, you know, more than an athlete. We know, you know, his whole slogan, his clothing line. Um, and it really started in 2018 when an ABC reporter, Laura Ingram, told LeBron in a segment to, quote, unquote, shut up and dribble. Uh, and that really kicked off an entire campaign with LeBron and many players around the league um, with the mantra, I'm more than an athlete. And that's, Jake, to your point, that's when that spearheaded, that started the LeBron of saying, you know, I need to be more than the game of basketball. I can't ignore the social issues that go wrong around the world, especially with the black community. And he's not shy about putting his name and putting his face in front of all those issues. Um, so that, you know, he turned that into a slogan and a clothing line. We can't really ignore the money side of it. LeBron is a very, very good businessman, maybe the best businessman in the NBA right now. And he knows where money is. Like, yes, it started off as social activism, but now you can buy hats and shoes and you put it on, um, you know, clothes and stuff like that to be able to buy. There's a whole money side of it. Um, but Jake, you said it perfectly. He's been willing to talk about many social justice issues pretty much since he came into the league, not shying away from it. He's very active on social media, speaking out about stuff that he doesn't agree with. Um, so I think that, you know, to me that goes in into culture and influencing it and being impactful with it. And Jordan was much more you know, cognizant about protecting his brand. He didn't want to speak about issues that maybe would cause him to lose an audience. LeBron's not worried about losing the audience. I mean, he said it before, you know, he speaks out about something he believes he's saying the right thing objectively and people don't buy his stuff because of that. He's saying like, I don't, I don't need those people associated with me anyway. Well, and Nike also kind of bought into that mantra by supporting Colin Kaepernick and, uh, and a problem that was very divisive among many people. And, and they clearly made the same decision that LeBron did. So I think that's very think, important to know. And I think it's because of LeBron. I, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. your billion dollar athlete, your top athlete is on one side of the fence on things. I mean, it's hard as a company to go against him or be silent because he rep- he's the major representation of your company. I mean, he's got a, a majority stock basically in Nike. So if he speaks out about something, you know, you can't ignore it. And that's very influential to cause maybe the biggest corporation on the planet to side with you. Like, that's very important. But we look also about, you know, what other things LeBron is able to do impactfully. Many people credit him with the starting the super team movement of, you know, talking to other superstars, either through free agency or through trades and saying, join me on, you know, one specific team. Let's build a powerhouse and let's move towards a championship. I mean, his move, the decision in 2009 when he goes and joins Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh uh, in Miami started, I mean, that's the first domino to fall, kicked off, you know, this whole movement of, you know, players joining up to build super teams to move towards championships. And let's look at the decision just, first of all, in a vacuum in itself. That was an hour-long ESPN special for one sentence for him to say, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. They blocked out an hour-long worth of that. And I remember watching that entire hour just so I could wait till the very end for him to tell me where he's going. Like, it, it was insane that he made ESPN do that. But whether you think it's for better or for worse, that's influence, man. Like, that's impact. Like, that's making the entire sports world look at you for something that you could have sent through effects. Like, I, I, think, that's, I think that's very important. 
Um, so, but since that decision, I mean, players have not been shy about publicly announcing where they want to align with other stars in the league and using their player leverage to happen, to make that happen. Who could forget two years ago, uh, what seemed like a perfectly healthy Kawhi just sat on the bench and said, I'm not playing because I don't want to play for this team. I want to play for a different team and use his leverage to go to a team that he was okay playing with. Anthony Davis did it the very next season. And that kind of the thinking that that concept has trickled down all the way to the high school level. We talked about it a couple of months ago. It was, it was my at the buzzer Well, we're seeing high school players. I mean, play in four different high schools for their entire call or entire high school career. Cause they want to go to the team that they think fits them perfectly the best. They don't want to play for, you know, a bad team if they can help it. So, you know, that kind of, that concept, that, that idea of, you know, going to where I have the best chance of succeeding and having success in the season, and that may mean aligning with other great players in my class. I mean, LeBron seemingly started that in 2010 and it's made its way down to the high school level. Um, so I, I think that that can't be overstated. And then his assist off the court. LeBron James, you know, famously opened the I Promise School in Cleveland, um, you know, which opens up opportunities for underprivileged kids and their families to get uh, the primary schooling they need also starting in 2021 will give them scholarships automatically to the University of Akron, a major university in the U.S., also helps out their families. And then he's opened up Spring Hill Entertainment, which has brought us the shop on HBO. It's going to bring us Space Jam 2 soon. The Wall, which is a, a, a nice game show that's picking up some momentum on network TV. So the, the LeBron's impact is, is being felt so much off the court. And I think it's a very good message to a lot of people who come from where he comes from, inner city, inner city poverty and underprivileged, of saying when you come into a place of influence and resources, it's not to be used on just yourself. Look at what he's able to, to do with what he's been given and broaden scopes for people and open up stuff like you know networks and game shows and schools. Like to me, that goes into culture. That goes into showing people who come after you that you know, just because I have success doesn't mean I have to spend it all on myself. Look at what I can do to better society around me. And so I think that's huge. And, you know, it's kind of tough to say who wins this category of culture because it's... I think I've, I think Jordan had a bigger cultural impact, but LeBron's had a better cultural impact. I think I think Jordan's had a larger influence on the world, but LeBron's made the world better. So we have a tie. What you're saying is we have a tie. But if you have the ties, I recently met. You know, here's the thing: if you have a better impact on the culture, how is having a better impact on the culture not having a bigger impact on the culture? Like, like you know what I mean? His peak may not have been high because he didn't go. He didn't go to the Olympics at a time when no other NBA player had ever gone to the Olympics. If no no NBA team had gone to the Olympics before 2004, 2008, whenever he went first, and then LeBron goes to the Olympics, guess what we now have? We have what Jordan had in 92. But after that cultural impact that Jordan had, I mean, Jordan purposely releases thousands and thousands less pair of shoes each year to make people fight for them. But he does that on purpose. Like, he wants people to fight for his shoes. Like, LeBron is doing the opposite of that. See me. Right. So, that sounds like you want to give it to LeBron, James? I want to I give it to LeBron. All right. We'll give it to LeBron. I, unless you guys have a problem with it. So LeBron wins by a score of three to two. Is that what we have? <laughs> James doing the Jordan shrug fittingly into the camera. Sorry. As walks off with the walk-off victory there. With the three-two series win. Yeah. It, look, we were fair. We broke it down for everybody. Yes, we are a new school age. Matt isn't happy about it, which kind of makes me more happy. <laughs> Matt's steaming over there. 
Which cultural is, impact when charging basketball careers is really shaky. <laughs> it's, it's shaky, but what else were we going to do? Well, I think, I, think, I think what matters is that we had it 2-2 with the basketball stuff, which shows how close they are. Yeah. Right? I think. And, and, and to that point, Matt, I think it comes down to something like cultural impact, something that deals with stuff off the court if you truly want to decide a winner. Because if you're going to stick to just basketball, then we, you're going to go in circles because for everything you say MJ did, LeBron did something. For everything LeBron did, MJ did something and more. So I think it goes to something answer. I just think MJ's better than LeBron basketball-wise because his lows were higher than LeBron's lows. All right, guys. So we got to put that Jordan-LeBron debate to bed at some point. It looks like LeBron took it. But staying on, this, on the same theme of Michael Jordan in the Last Dance documentary – Statman has a deep dive for us, and he hasn't done one in a while, and it seems to be on one of Jordan's foes, Sir Charles, Mr. Charles Barkley. So, Matt, take it away and see what you got. Charles Barkley deserved a ring, but bad luck got in his way. Twice he joined all-time great teams just when their stars started to age. He joined the Sixers in 1984, right when Dr. J and Moses Malone showed their age, and then he joined the Rockets in 1996, just when Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon started to age. The best he did with either of those teams is make a conference finals appearance. He did have one time in his career when the stars aligned for him to finally win that elusive championship, and that was in 1993. He was on a very good Suns team with Tom Chambers, Don Maherly, and Kevin Johnson. He won MVP, and then he ran into Michael Jordan at the peak of his powers. There's nothing you can do when that happens. But unlike other all-time greats like Carl Malone, Drexler, and Patrick Ewing, he didn't crumble under that pressure of facing Michael Jordan. He thrived in it. He averaged 25.7 points, 13.3 rebounds, and 5.3 assists on close to 60% true shooting when he played Michael Jordan in the playoffs. That's across three series. He... His team's lost to the series, but he's not to blame. He played fantastic. It's not his fault that he happened to play at the same time as the GOAT player and GOAT coach in Phil Jackson. Barkley should be lauded for his incredible career, not a punchline of a no-rings joke. Yeah, and Matt, I mean, that was obviously great work as always. And I think it's really, it's really interesting to look at, like, not only just Charles Barkley was denied a ring, but you look at like Carmelone, Patrick Ewing, Drexler, as you mentioned, those guys. Um, and even further, like it would have been Hakeem Olajuwon as well, most likely. I mean, you could, you could really debate if he would have went eight straight, but you could make the argument it would be Hakeem Olajuwon on that list as well had he never stepped away. So great work, great work as always. And Charles Barkley, yeah, I mean, he'll never live that one down with Shaquille O'Neal. Ever, ever. But I'm, I'm glad... Matt, I'm really glad you did that because a lot of people nowadays see the goofy Charles Barkley on TV and kind of forget just how dominant Chuck was. So I'm really glad that you, you're educating some people out there. Um, but it's time to move on. And for that, uh, we bring in our lovely fourth co-host, Jewel Smith, who's going to let us know what has happened this past week in sports. So, Jewel, how are you doing today? I'm good. I feel like such a schmuck every single time I come on here because I'm in workout clothes and I'm just noticing it. But, like, at least I'm doing something productive during quarantine. Look, absolutely. Wow. Quarantine comfortable. Like, I'm not judging the way anybody looks right Pretty now. sure I've worn this, like, the last five episodes, this sweatshirt. Could There's be. a reason I have True. Take it away. Yeah, you're making me feel better. All right, what happened this past week in sports? First and foremost, the 2020 NFL schedule has been released. The regular season kicks off with the Houston Texans visiting the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday, September 10th. 
The opening doubleheader for Monday Night Football will feature the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New York Giants and the Tennessee Titans and the Denver Broncos on Monday, September 14th. And that is if everything goes as planned right now. Obviously, there is a quarantine going on. And as we know, because the NFL wants more money, they have shifted some things around. Um, they have added two games to the postseason schedule, one game and one team per conference, leaving all in all the regular season increased to 17 games and preseason has been shortened down to three games. Another rule that they have changed is only one team from each conference gets a first round bye, meaning this is good for the top seed of each conference. But you could also argue that it is too strong of an advantage. Um, the next rule is this, six games on Wild Card Weekend, which is very interesting. And here are some highlights just to top off all of that. Uh, with this new altered 256-game regular season schedule. The Saints and Vikings will be playing in the first NFL's first Friday game since 2009. Oh. The Dallas Cowboys – I know, it's crazy. Oh. The Dallas Cowboys will be traveling to Los Angeles in week one to face the Rams in what will be the first game ever played at SoFi – Sophie, SoFi Stadium? SoFi, I think. SoFi. It's Sophie Stadium. It's whatever you want it to be, Stadium. Tom Brady will be making his Buccaneers debut in a week one road game against the Saints. James, you must be thrilled about that. And last but not least, speaking of the Saints, they'll also be playing the first NFL game ever in Las Vegas when they play the Raiders on Monday night in week two. There's, so what do we make of all of that? I mean, there's so many, like, so many things happen. I mean, yeah, the NFL – you talked about it, Joel. Like, you know, this is assuming everything goes perfectly according to the plan. They don't have any hiccups. And, like, they're, like, the one league that can plan for that because their season doesn't start uh, until September. And, you know, hopefully we're back to, quote, unquote, normal by September. They may have to play without fans, but I'm sure they're much more willing to do that than cancel the season. Here, here's all, and we'll talk about this in a little bit because I, I want to touch on it uh, in terms of the UFC, who, thank God, provided us with some sports. But just pump sound, pump, pump sound in. Just pump the sound in. It is bizarre without it. Okay, that's but UFC is different. We don't have to hear people, like, getting their jaws cracked. Oh, you, oh, you well, don't think true. there'll be that's some true. pops? <laughs> there will be. <laughs> that's true. Right before you move on, Joel, the Buccaneers, five primetime games this year. We've had, what, seven in the last oh, – five, yeah. <laughs> I say one thing. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl 52 rematch of Brady versus Nick Foles in week five. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And we also get um, the Brady-Mahomes rematch um, of the AFC Championship game two years ago um, in, I think, week 11 or something like that later in the season. So, big year for the All right. Moving on, Dolphins Hall of Fame coach Don Shula dies at age 90. He lived a very long life. Uh, Don Shula was the NFL's winningest coach who led the Miami Dolphins to the league's only undefeated season who died, as I stated on Monday. The Dolphins issued a statement saying Shula died very peacefully at his home, and he spent more than 20 years on the powerful NFL competition committee, which evaluates playing rules as well as regulations designed to improve safety. Uh, he is known for winning an NFL record of 347 games, including playoff games. He coached the Dolphins to the league's only undefeated season, 17-0 in 1972, with a 14-7 victory over the Washington Redskins in Super Bowl Seven. In all, he guided the Dolphins to five whole Super Bowls. So rest in peace. Rest in peace. 
Not too much. All-time great coach. It is. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, not too much to add to that. Just rest in peace to it. Right. I don't know if anybody has any ties to the Dolphins. I personally don't, but that's either way. My dad does. He was. He was actually. I mean, it was before his like huge dolphin fandom, but he was. Uh, he was pretty. He was pretty upset about it. Jake, uh, your wish has come true. We are going to be talking about the UFC now. After eight plus weeks without a live sporting event in the United States, the UFC is the first sporting event to start up again amidst all this madness going on with the coronavirus. Yet the most important result, the ultimate verdict on the UFC will play out over the next couple of weeks when it is determined whether this was pulled off without a significant spread of the virus. So that was basically a test run that they just did. Um, preliminary fighter Ronald, I never know how to say this guy's list. Souza. Souza, Souza. Souza, right? And, mm-hmm. and two team members came up positive for on Friday. They had asymptomatic but he pulled from the card all three men were self-quarantined and the show went on um you know if that was the extent of what had happened for you know putting on an event as such um you know someone had to be the first to step up and the ufc was willing to do it so i hope other you know sports kind of catch on yeah and kind of man it up. was like i like i'm kind of pissed kyle is in here i wanted to talk with him about it because he had mentioned that he actually does watch ufc oh uh, breaking news Sorry to cut you off. Cut me off. It's okay. The NBA will no longer use Spalding as its game as its game balls anymore. In 2021-2022, they will be using Wilson basketballs. They I mean, to, they should have went to Baden. Baden's the best basketball. But Wilson's, I don't know. I don't know Wilson. I don't think Wilson's better than Spalding. But that's, you know, okay. I mean, that fits right in Tell for me. this week in sports in terms of news. But uh, just I, all I want to say is that it was amazing – to have competitive live sports again. And the, the event that they put on was actually awesome. There was two championship fights. Both of them were phenomenal fights to watch. Um, and there was a couple of great knockouts in there as well. So, like, bravo to the UFC. Hopefully this shows, like, the other leagues. Because, you know, obviously they did catch someone with coronavirus, but they're like, that's the point of having the testing system. We expected yeah. to catch someone with coronavirus. Right. Bill, you talked about it with the first domino to fall. Like, I don't, it's unrealistic to think that no one's going to catch it when you have put a bunch of people in the same room. But it's almost a necessary evil that you have to get over. If we want to see the other side of this, like, when we all get let out, there's going to be another spike. And, you know, the UFC did a very good job of only three people in the entire, you know, organization, the entire event got it, and I got past it. So, Right. It's like if that was the worst of it, the show must go on either way. And I think they handled it the best they could. Um, Breaking news this morning, ESPN's list of 74 best NBA players of all time surfaced for the league's 74th year in history. The top 10 players, including past and present, were listed as follows. Number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, LeBron James. Three, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Four, Bill Russell. Five, Magic Johnson. Six, Wilt Chamberlain. Seven, Larry Bird. Eight, Tim Duncan. Nine, Kobe Bryant, also rest in peace. And ten, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, look, I am I know y'all probably want to go very in-depth and debate this. Uh, this is the only thing I will say. I think number eight is very interchangeable, Tim Duncan. Duncan was one of the best winners leading the Spurs to five titles. Um, the most any player with one team in NBA history. But if you look at the list, 11 and up, You've got KDs in there. You've got Julius Irvings in there. You've got a couple other really standout, a bunch of standout players. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, they got the right 10. I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying Tim Duncan isn't good. Tim Duncan's incredibly talented. 
And I'm actually, I, I like Tim Duncan. I just, I don't know if he should I, be in the I have top Duncan 10. ahead of Kobe in my top 10, but below Bird. So. I, I agree with Matt. They got the right 10 players. I think they, we can move some around. That would personally be my top not anything but, offensive. But I also don't think you're wrong, Joel. Like, you talk about other players that are, you know, 11 through, like, 15. And I think Tim Duncan is probably one of those players inside the top 10 that's most interchangeable with, you know, putting him outside. They actually sure, judging it on. We we put out all of our top ten lists and Matt, it was it was very, very close to yours. I think they flipped around well, Kareem. My and, number three, Kareem's my four, Russell's my five. Yeah. So they flipped that around. They had Bill Russell very high. I, I can't say I, I'm I mean, obviously here, look, they just haven't listened to this episode. Then they'll realize LeBron is first, MJ's second, so exactly. We don't we won't hold it to him. All right, guys, let's head into the countdown. Number five. Five, the amount of 60-point games Jordan had in his career. Uh, we went through a whole list of great games Jordan have, And 60 points is a huge feat. I, I believe LeBron only has one 60-point game in his career. Jordan has five. So we know he's the best scorer in NBA history, and that points to it right there. Yep, no doubt. Uh, and the only person who's better than, than him at that is Wilt Chamberlain, of course. <laughs> number four. The number of bounces it took for Kawhi Leonard's mm. game Seven winning shot to drop in against the Sixers in 2019, exactly a year ago, or maybe a year plus one day. Um, probably the worst sports moment of my life. Yeah, that hurt. It hurt. Like, I could tell that hurt even saying it. So, good on you for getting that out. <laughs> number three. The number of home runs MJ hit in one season of double A baseball. Look, a, a debate has been had. If Jordan stuck with baseball, would he have made it to the majors? In 13 months of playing baseball, dude was hitting 200 against – those are pro baseball players. Not the minor league, but are pro baseball players. He hit 200. And I think if he would have stuck with it a couple more years, Jordan could have made a pass to, at the majors. I mean, picking he, up a picking up a baseball bat and hitting 200. Yes, but it was not at 29. That's true. But picking up a baseball bat after not playing baseball for decades and hitting 200 against pro players is like that is – that's very impressive. That's very impressive. Number two. The number of players who average 35-plus points per game in multiple NBA finals. It's MJ in 92 and 93, and Shaquille O'Neal in 2000 and 2002. Bring it down to number one. Number one. There's actually two number ones this week. Our, our statistician, Kyle Sirik, went crazy. He couldn't choose between one. The first number one, the amount of 50-point games against the Bulls when MJ played, and that's Dominique Wilkins with, 70, with 57 points. Uh, for reference, Jordan had over 30 50-point games when he played with the Bulls. The second number one is the amount of times Jordan scored less than 10 points in a game throughout his tenure with, or throughout his entire career. Um, only played 16 minutes and scored eight points. It's the game he came back, uh, I believe. Um, uh, they showed it in the documentary. He had, I believe he, he sprained a high ankle sprain or something bad to his ankle. They came back, limited his minutes. He scored eight points in that game, but you know, the caveat is he only played 16 minutes. So, you know, that's the only time he scored, you know, that low, you know, that low points under, under 10 points. So just an overall great career by Michael Jordan. A great way to, to put a bow on this whole, on this whole episode. Yep. All right. But we're almost out of time for this episode, but we can get some shots up at the buzzer. Julie, do you have anything to say at the buzzer before you go? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't know if anybody has seen it yet. But the show Outer Banks, I just started the other day, and it's very good, so I recommend it. I heard, I heard it's really good. Also, I have one more thing to say. I know, 
it's really good. It's like, it's like kind of a thriller, but it's like younger kids. So it's like relatable type thing. Um, also the guy's smoking hot in it, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, anyway. Uh, also I heard today that today it was announced that California, um, is going to be on lockdown another three months, which I could only assume is going to set the standard for maybe a couple other states. You know, I'm pretty eggs, especially the big states, but also some of the cluster states up here and then that have been affected by it severely. So We'll see what happens, but I hope everyone's doing the best they can be doing right now. Jake, anything to say to the buzzer? Um, I got to see my girlfriend after 60 days of not seeing her. She graduated from LaSalle with her master's um, in speech pathology. So it was great. Congrats. Yeah, we got to surprise her. Um, and it was really great to see her. And now she's down at my house waiting for me to finish this episode to – I don't know. Play wiffle ball. I don't know what we're going to do. How selfish of you. But we yeah. all know who the breadwinner of that household is going to be. So, right on right. You, <laughs> Matt, what you got to say to the buzzer? Uh, Mother's Day just passed. I just want to give a shout out to my mom, especially, and all the mothers out there. Yes, you Matt. are incredible, and you don't get enough praise. Yes, Matt. Yes, Matt. I completely agree. Uh, all I have to say at the buzzer is this past weekend I moved. Uh, I moved from Jake and I's hometown to Phoenixville to now I'm in the city closer to Jewel. So, hey, neighbor. I'm in uh, University City here in Philadelphia. So, yes, I moved during the pandemic to all of our listeners. Um, but we made sure to do it in the, the safest way possible. Everybody had masks and gloves. My apartment was professionally cleaned uh, a week before I got here. And then we cleaned it again when I did get here. So, all germs are out. And I'm going to be quarantining from my new spot, um, you know, from here until the rest of quarantine. So, you know, all the move, the move went well. And I'm just very happy and very blessed for it. But that's all the time we have. For this episode of Straight Bass, it was another great one. Big ups to our statistician, Kyle Sirik, and our producer, Stat Matt Robinson, behind the camera for putting on a good show. For my partner, Joel Schmitz. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. To my main, fan, to my main man's Jake Galley, I am James Jackson. And once again, as we have LeBron as the winner, these have been the facts. Straight up. Straight up.